to Brewing It Over with Cup North, the show that gives you the chance to deep dive into the topics shared in the content program at our events. From social to consumer to sustainability issues, there's something for everyone. I'm Hannah Davis. And I'm Grace Talbot. And today we're joined by Claire Wallace from Assembly Coffee, who participated in a panel on coffee competitions at last year's Manchester Coffee Festival. Claire Wallace has spent nearly 10 years in the coffee industry, working in many different roles across the UK before finding her current position as head of coffee quality at Assembly Coffee in London, England. She has competed in competitions for most of her coffee career, culminating in becoming the UK barista champion in 2022, the first woman to do so in 18 years. <laughs> she finished third place at the World Barista Championship Championship 2022 in Melbourne, Australian. Australia, not Australian. (laughs) (laughs) Just before we welcome Claire to the podcast, we just wanted to remind you that we'll uh, play the recording of the panel for Manchester Coffee Festival at the very end. So hang on to the end to listen to that. It's an incredible panel with some other incredible competitors speaking alongside Claire. And talking of Manchester Coffee Festival, we couldn't deliver any of our projects without the incredible support of our partners. Here's an advert from our partner to Birmingham Coffee Festival, Java Roastery. Introducing Birmingham-based Java Roastery, where every cup of coffee is a delightful experience that awakens your senses and ignites your passion for flavour. Java Roastery are dedicated to crafting the perfect cup of coffee. Their passionate baristas skillfully brew each batch, ensuring a rich and consistent flavour that will leave you craving more. Their menu ranges from their signature espresso-based creations to their meticulously crafted pour-over coffees. There's something for everyone. But Java Roastery is more than just great coffee. It's a place where connections are made, friendships are forged and inspiration flows. It's the perfect spot to relax, catch up with your friends or get lost in your favourite book. We'll see you there. Welcome, Claire. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Warm. Our roastery is warm today. So, yes. Yeah, the sun is out and we've all realised we've forgotten how to be warm, I think. We're like, oh, yeah. God, wearing knit, knitted jumpers, thinking <laughs> that that's a sensible decision for some reason. Um, also blind no. right now because the sun is in my eyes. That's <laughs> why I'm ready. I'm ready, got... for, I'm ready yes. for beaches and ice lattes. That's, that's what I'm ready for. Absolutely. <laughs> I think we do have trust issues with the weather in England, though, don't we? We Like, even now, I think we've had, like, two consecutive weeks of good weather. And I'm still very, like, going to bring a jacket just in case. Suspicious <laughs> of it. I am. Side-eyeing this yeah. guy. <laughs> um, but welcome. Welcome to the podcast. We're very excited to have you join us today. Thank you very Thanks much for, for doing so. We want to ease you in with some easy, breezy, not-too-difficult questions. Not to put you on the spot or anything, okay. but are you ready? <laughs> I think so. As ready as I'll ever be. Okay. Okay. Number one, what's your coffee order? Oof. It's just filter. <laughs> it's just always filter. Of always any filter. Strong go to. Just filter. Yeah. I think that's, I, am I speaking right on your behalf there, Hannah? Is that yours too? Pretty much. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> You're like, no, Grace Easy peasy. <laughs> just whatever, whatever's brewing. <laughs> no, I love it. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Love a good filter. Okay. So we'll get our fabulous barista Hannah to work on making you a filter. And and while she does that, we're in our dream cafe now, about to have our dream filter. What music is playing in our dream Ooh. cafe? Oh, I'm bad at these questions because I like forget any sort of taste that I have when I'm playing this. <laughs> 
When I was a barista, I would all, I would play a lot of Caetronada in the cafe. So it's probably going to be some Caetronada. Excellent. Good. We have so had no duplicate answers for this question. And I love Ooh. that. And that speaks to the diversity of our industry. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just trying to like thinking back to like all the stuff I used to play on opens. I'm like, it's probably Caetronada because it gets me, it wakes me up in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> Before the coffee kicks in, you need a bit of musical input. At 6am when you're doing an opening <laughs> shift, you need all the help you can get. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. I mean, also 6 p.m., 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I often need help. Music and caffeine are my lifeblood. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) Okay. So we've covered some basics here. This one's a bit deeper, and uh, I do think it's quite difficult to answer. What is your most memorable coffee shop experience? You gave me no prep for this at all, and now I'm going to (laughs) like panic. Oh, my gosh. Um, You're allowed to have one of your most memorable. Don't feel the pressure of being like the single best moment in my entire life. I mean, I've been to, I've been lucky to go to loads and loads of really good cafes, but I think like the ones that stick in my head most are probably from like before I even worked in specialty, like the Gateway cafes. So there's a cafe in Glasgow mm-hmm. called Paper Cup. Shout out Paper Cup. Um, when I was at uni, I would go there constantly to sort of drink coffee. And they had, I remember, the best flat white I'd like ever had in my life at the time. And I would just go there all the time and get flat whites and aeropresses. And that sticks in my head as like a cafe that was really key to converting me into like a specialty coffee drinker. So yeah, I'm going to say Paper Cup. And they're sweet, sweet. Great answers. <laughs> was it just the like flavor experience of the coffee or was it also were you particularly sort of close with any of the people who worked there or I was a shy I had nothing to do with coffee and I was very shy so I didn't know anyone that worked there at the time I would just go there all the time and hang out and enjoy the enjoy the vibes and enjoy the coffee and study amazing <laughs> you were like I'd study that was and low study down the list degree. way down there way down coffee there. was obviously a vital component of it though oh yeah. yes oh definitely <laughs> And I guess that kind of leads us to one of the questions that we could uh, propose to you today in that, in the way that cafes are like a bit of a gateway for people to get into coffee, um, competitions can seem to be the same for baristas as well. I know it's talked a little bit about in the panel discussion from Manchester last year, and it was like one of the ways that I got into coffee when I was younger. I remember entering, yeah, competitions SCA competitions, non-SCA competitions. It was a way that you kind of engaged and connected with the community and developed knowledge and networked and all those sort of things. So given that, how important do you think competitions are to the kind of longevity of of specialty coffee? Yeah, I mean, competitions are, for what they are, they're, for baristas, an opportunity to network like nationally and with all these local competitions that are starting to take hold in, in re- different regions in the country. There's such a great opportunity to network with people in your country, in your industry, because it's quite small. Um, obviously, we're not going to solve climate change with a barista competition. So like mm-hmm. some of the bigger issues that we're facing as an industry, competitions aren't necessarily the answer for that. But in terms of building communities building if you volunteer to organize a competition building skill sets on that side of things as well as a competitor building your own skill sets i think they're great tools to challenge yourself and grow and meet new people most of the people i know when i moved to london five six years ago now i knew because i'd competed in competitions and that's how we'd met each other and how i'd networked Um, so I, i definitely wouldn't know the people that i know without having done at least one competition somewhere in the country. So I think they're incredibly valuable tools to network and to have a sense of community around being a barista. Definitely. And you've mentioned like we're seeing this 
real exciting period, I think, where lots of these more local competitions are popping up. We've got Extractor Development launching a Birmingham Coffee Festival. We've got the Filter Comp over in the north. Uh, How do you feel about them? Do you think it's helping exactly what you're describing, that networking and the sense of community? Do you think it is reaching out to everybody in the industry? Yeah, I'm all for it. Like, I started my barista career because I'm from Scotland. So I started in Scotland in Edinburgh. And at the time, like we all entered the SCA comps, but they were all very heavily focused. And especially now that we often don't have a Scottish heat, um, it was all very heavily focused down south. And we always felt a bit detached from it. So we did have a few like Scottish competitions, which really helped us to build a community in Edinburgh and in Glasgow and in, in Scotland. Um, and it's really, really good to see other cities and other regions having their own sort of competition scene because it's not really viable to always have to travel down to London to do competitions. It's expensive. Baristas don't get tons of holiday time. I think it's amazing that there's competitions springing up that more baristas from regional areas can compete in and grow their own networks and grow their own communities within the North or Manchester or Birmingham or wherever it is. More please. Yes, yes, we love it. We love communications. We love community. We love networking. Do you think, I mean, this was kind of covered in the panel, but do you think it takes a certain type of person to be up for competing? Because it's not easy. And uh, you do have to be willing to put yourself on stage, which is difficult. I mean, I always look at it as like there is a competition. If you want to do competition, there's no sort of, you don't have to ever do it. Um, I think it's a great experience, but not everyone. It's not for everyone and that's fine. But I think there really is a competition for everyone. There's competitions where you don't have to speak at all, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. There's the roasters comp where you don't, there's no audience. There's, yes, things like extracted development and coffee masters where you're not talking to the audience. You're just talking to a judge. So there's so many different competitions that can suit different personality types. And depending on what you want to get out of the competition, what skills you want to expand on or explore. Um, there's so many different routes you can go down. Probably the only things that I feel like you need to have as a person to compete is some uh, as a drive and some sort of self, be self-driven in a sense. I'm probably not saying those right words, but um, have some sort of self <laughs> internal self-motivation to keep yourself going because halfway through the training period, you're like, why have I done this? Why am I doing this? Um, and having the ability to sort of spur yourself on and pick yourself up and keep going is probably like the one thing you have to have um, in order to get yourself to the finish line, wherever that, whatever that finish line is for you. So yeah, having, having a reason and having a drive and a motivation is key. But in terms of this, you don't have to speak to an audience. You don't have to do a presentation. There's, there's something out there for you if you want to do it. Did you have like a mantra that you repeated to yourself in when you were preparing, you know, for Worlds and for UKBCs? Also, side note, congratulations. Amazing. You repeated to yourself when those that fatigue and that exhaustion were hitting, like notes on the mirror or just snacks. Like I, I'm a sucker for a snack. I'll do anything if there's a snack at the end of it. What were your motivators? <gasps> I love that. Yeah. yeah. Snacks. Snacks are always good. We often had a glass of wine at the end of training with all the people that were at training. So it was nice to kind of get through the training and at the end of it you have a little glass of wine with each other and cheers to the training that you've done that day so that was always especially for the uk competition we were training with sierra that was a really nice sort of end to the session and we got to sit down and relax um yeah and like the uk was motivating because i wanted so badly to pass where i'd been in previous years worlds was motivating because i was terrified (laughs) i just wanted to make sure i did okay (laughs) 
yeah, so there's, there was different reasons every year sort of that motivated me and pushed me. Um, but yeah, always wanting to sort of build on what I'd done the previous year and do better. Um, and yeah, for Worlds, just like not knowing if I'd ever get to Worlds again. So just wanting to give it like the absolute most that I could give it and just see where it took me. That did me just. And fear. <laughs> and fear. <laughs> a lot of pressure and one which i'm sure you you know all of that pressure would have been made a lot easier by having like the team around you and that is one of the things that i think um sometimes spectators might not realize the impact of the the amount of people that you've got supporting you in competitions um and i i can't remember who i was chatting to about this it might have been ricardo may have been you grace um but we were talking about it would be a really cool idea if when a competitor was on stage and you've got like the list of competitors you know for the ukbc for example you would have the competitor's name but then underneath you'd have like their coach's name and their like supporter's name and it would be like a really cool way of like showing recognition for the fact that it is a full team involved in it and also a really cool way of kind of diversifying the type of people listed on those boards because we do see a lot of he hims on the board but I reckon that there's yeah. a lot more diversity in the background Definitely. yeah how important were your team to you and like any shout outs you want to do to your your team I mean, <laughs> like it's not a one-person job at all and yeah just a caveat that you don't have to hire a coach to do well you don't have to pay someone to help you the first few years that I did it I did it with friends and that's probably the best way to do it find a friend you can trust your partner you can trust your fellow barista that you're like I know your palate's good because that those people will be the people that are easier to work with and I'm very very lucky that one of my closest friends also happens to just be really good at coaching people and yeah. so Rosa <laughs> who works in, <laughs> in London too we trained together the previous year and then we trained together this year as well and she was like indispensable like it's 50 percent her 50 percent me absolutely so shout out to her and also my partner mark who came backstage with us in the uk but also came all the way to australia and was like backstage helper so when me and rosa were dialing in we were just like wash this dish wash this dish <laughs> and he just did it with no complaints yeah. <laughs> no questions asked um he kind of kept our organizational head on because when you're flapping and you're stressed and you're like ah it helps to have someone with a list of things that you need going tick 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 yeah <laughs> um so the two of them were were crucial but then there's like many other people in the uk community and london especially who rallied around and helped me taste things and give me pep talks and stuff um too many to name but yeah rosa and mark were were key i couldn't have done it without them we love to hear Amazing. it. We love that support. Were there any like unexpected, I can only think of the word side effect here, and it sounds really like medicinal and I don't mean that, but were there any unexpected outcomes of the competition experience? I mean, like you've already described the relationship with your partner and getting this like new facet, right? Where you're like, wash my dishes. Were there any things like that that kind of took you aback upon reflection? You know, were there emotional moments or no taste moments? I mean, my partner would probably say he washes my dishes before that and after that all the time anyway. <laughs> so that's um, not unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> completely not unexpected as well. Um, yeah, I, I think I expected, I don't didn't have any expectations for Worlds particularly. I didn't really know how I'd feel. But I think it kind of really hit home to me, like once I got over the initial nerves, how much I actually enjoyed being on stage and doing the doing the presentations. By the time I got to the final and I was just like, well, I've exceeded everything I thought I'd do. None of this matters at this point. I'm just going to do it and it'll be fun. And I wasn't nervous and I wasn't scared. 
um, because I was just ready to actually enjoy all the hard work that we put in and presenting the coffee that I was so obsessed with and loved to these judges. That was kind of unexpected. I thought I would have been terrified every single round. And also just getting to taste that coffee and getting to roast that coffee that I served at Worlds, which is like the most stunning coffee I think I've ever had. Um, that was mind-blowing as well. Um, and being a, be, having the producer of the coffee in the audience watching me mm-hmm. compete was like... Unbelievable. So yeah. It, was, yeah, it was actually such an incredible journey from UKs to Worlds that I was just like, that's this cannot be mimicked or repeated. This was just a little perfect, perfect journey. So yeah, I didn't really mm-hmm. expect it to go that well. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Did that add like um, an extra element of pressure with the producer there? Yeah, because my routine featured him, obviously it featured him and his coffee, but I spoke so much about what he specifically chose to do to the coffee as like a key theme in the routine. So having him in the audience was like, please tell me if I'm saying stuff wrong. Oh my God. Um <laughs> But no, he said everything's fine, so it was okay. <laughs> it's definitely intimidating having having the producer of the coffee and his wife sit there and watch you. <laughs> but amazing. I mean, so good to have like a producer representation there. I think um, a lot of people aren't massively familiar with competitions. So it's, it's nice that we're seeing that reach a wider audience. Kind of wheeling it back a little bit with UKBCs in particular, we do find that a lot of the time the people who actually compete are no longer baristas in their day-to-day job. Is that something you can kind of speak to while you think we might see a lack of sort of baristas in competition yeah absolutely i mean i can speak about barista competition specifically um because that's where most of my experience is i guess i so the first time i ever did barista competition i was a full-time barista so doing sort of 40 45 hours a week on bar and then training afterwards and like i work i mean i work in a roastery now but i have like sort of more office time and qc time and i feel like that definitely gives me more headspace to think about my routine or or on a cheeky 15, 20 minute lunch break, I can do a little bit more work on the script or whatever. Whereas if you're a barista, you're focused so much on service and the rush and what's happening in the cafe that there's no headspace during work to think about competition. So you have to do everything after work, after you've already done those movements for 40 hours a week. So it's it's tiring and it, it takes a lot, I think, for full-time baristas to have the time and the energy to put into the routine after working that hard. And it is it is a shame. I wish more baristas had the headspace and had the time. But I think it's getting better. I think there's more. Um, I think employers are seeing the value and understanding the value in a barista doing a barista competition to improve their barista skills or improve their sort of become more outgoing, be more confident in talking about coffee. Because that's a benefit that they'll take back to the cafe and be able to engage with the customers better or their service might be faster or cleaner. So I think there is a little bit more understanding there and hopefully that makes a little bit more space so that more baristas can have the time to prep. Like it's doable, but it's tiring. And I, I've been there and I get it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they do have the advantage of being able to practice those key barista skills day in and day out, the milk steaming and the tamp, like consistent tamping. So in theory, they should have a technical advantage over us old retired barista people. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I would love to get I would love to see more baristas working baristas in the top six and I think it's doable they just need the space mm-hmm. and time to do it of course money is also a big <laughs> yeah. um, so yeah. when I competed as a barista I was lucky in that we had a bunch of kit from previous baristas in the cafe so that I could use some of that and I had support from the cafe that I was working in 
because they'd already supported other baristas to compete. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, there's there's no getting around the fact that it is expensive. But I think the, the for barista comps in the UK, especially the first round, just being espresso and milk, I think is a really nice. It, I think it's great that the SA have done that for the first round, as it lowers the bar to entry massively. You just show up with ten minutes, just describe the coffee, make a really nice espresso and a really nice milk, and that's all you need to get on that stage and sort of have a chance of getting through to the next round. And I quite like that. It's more accessible. It's less scary. So yeah, that that's one factor. But yeah, whether we, there's been lots of talk of maybe adding in a compulsory round as well. So everyone gets the same coffee and we all have to dial it in. And that's an mm-hmm. element of the score, which would level the playing field closer, probably to a working barista who dials in every single day. I don't think that's an imminent change, but it has been discussed. So things like that could help us level the playing field and make it a bit less of a who's got the time and, and the money to do it and who maybe doesn't. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's not just about the investment in the kit, is it? It's about the investment in the green coffee as well. That's like a big part of it. And I know oh, that's yeah, been like a course. bit of a discussion yeah, yeah. in the past few years for the, the people who are winning the world are spending, yeah, rather a lot of money on their green coffee. A lot of money, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's something we're doing with extracted development is that we've put a cap on the amount of money you can spend on your green coffee to use in the in the competition which That's will great. hopefully yeah. help to kind and of aid the SCA that level score sheet field. this sorry i'm saying that the sca score sheets for worlds this year have slightly changed so um previously the points were quite heavily weighted on the espresso scores um, mm-hmm. and they've now slightly leveled the playing field a bit more so there's a bit more points given to your overall performance and ideas a bit more on your signature drink so it's a little bit less heavily weighted on the coffee and more on the creativeness of the barista and the overall presentation and all the drinks as a whole which i think is quite a nice shift away from just buy the most expensive coffee and if you do bad and everything else then it might carry you through um So yeah, I think it'll be a slow change, but I think there's enough of us talking about it and acknowledging it publicly that it's expensive, mm-hmm. um, that hopefully we'll start to find ways to open it up like you guys have um, with extracted development, hopefully make all of the competitions as accessible as possible to people. <laughs> Obviously, you're a person with immense competition experience and quite a diverse range of competitions as well. If we were talking absolute dream scenario, utopia of specialty industry, based on your experiences, what would you love to see built into competitions? Like we're seeing progress absolutely, and we're seeing lots of things happen. Just but speaking particularly from your experience, perhaps there were barriers you faced or blocks you stumbled at. What would you love to see in the competition scene, apart from more wine, apparently? (laughs) (laughs) A bottle of wine at the end of every session (laughs) just makes it worth it. Makes it worth it. Um, Oh, that's a good point. Um, Are you talking like globally or UK wise, or just you interpret it how you want? Just sort of based on your experience, was there, is there a moment you can reflect back on and you're like, oh, now that I'm seeing these changes come in, I wish in the future this is built in or, you know, for the next generation of competitors. This is utopia we're talking about. Perfect. Oh, God. I mean, <laughs> this is going to sound very materialistic, but I swear it's not. Is the return of or the introduction of actual prize money for the top three? <laughs> Um, especially if the winner is going somewhere international that can be quite expensive. Having some sort of prize money that can then help them get there is huge, especially if you're a working barista. Having Mm -hmm. the prize fund that will go, okay, that'll pay for 
a little bit more accommodation or that'll pay for my coffee or that'll pay for it. Yeah, that helps the barista get there Mm -hmm. instead of just going, oh, I've won and I have to find all this money from somewhere else. (laughs) And yeah, I think more support for the national champion on their way to worlds would be great. Like I found that once we won that we were like, oh, how do we get stuff to Australia? How, How do we... What's the cheapest way to do this? What's the cheapest way to do that? And we just flew yeah. completely blind. We had no idea what we were doing. And that can get really expensive and really stressful. Um, so whether there's some sort of support system for first-time competitors, which we are getting better at, and then also if you win a national championship, maybe like a, a guide from previous champions, like here's what we did. This is the cheapest way to do this. Here's our advice on this. So that we're not, yeah, so that we make inroads in the nationals, but then not just send our national champions to spend so much money at the Worlds and get into massive yeah. debt. They don't have to. Yeah, that's a great, that's a good great point. Answer either. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's no, it's speaking to your experience, isn't it? And it's um, yeah. If we can just eliminate it, as many financial barriers as possible, that would be yeah. amazing because it's not feasible to want to 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 have a barista who works a barista wage and send them to Australia and expect them to have to find the money to pay for everything. <laughs> it's kind of insane. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> Um, so yeah, any way that we could find a sponsorship program or a, a way of easing people in so that they can have these amazing experiences and represent the UK in, in an amazing way um, without having to be afraid of the finances would be awesome. Yeah. In utopia. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. I also really like the idea of uh, previous winners kind of collaborating to create like a guidebook. Um, I'm not going to add more work to your considerable workload, but this is definitely something that like the industry in general would love to see, even if I don't know how much you're allowed to share, but that transparency of how much it cost you um, chatting with other people, like who were other folk who were on the panel that you were at, sharing that information is also a point to accessibility, isn't it? Kind of demystifying the competition experience for potential competitors and saying you know this was my experience i shipped my coffee using this and it turns out that was terrible like yeah stuff like that would be game changing yeah just yeah having a little like check your hand check your luggage allowance fedex it this many weeks before this that and the next thing would have been super helpful and we only there's a lot of stuff we only figured out because i'm exceptionally fortunate enough to be friends with people who've gone to worlds before so i asked them but if you're not in that situation, yeah. you're on your own. So yeah, having some sort of baton handing over of a guide of, or like this could go wrong, plan for this would just be a really nice thing to have. Maybe I'll do it myself now that I've, now that I've said it. Maybe I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just add that to my Accountable now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Excuse oh. me. Before we wrap up, was there anything else that you wanted to talk about? Or have we kind of covered everything you think so i think no unless you've got any other questions you want me to answer we can wrap it up now and if you're happy to share with the people listening where they can find more about assembly and your work where they can head to so if they have questions they can follow up with you online yeah um so i obviously am the head of quality for assembly coffee which is based in brixton in london uh, the Instagram, I think, is at Assembly Roast, not Assembly Coffee, Assembly Roast. I am also on Instagram probably more than I should be. I cannot remember my handle. We might have to put it in the description of the podcast. We can do that. <laughs> Don't you worry. We'll we'll do that. <laughs> but if you just search my name on Instagram, it'll probably come up. <laughs> yeah. So if you've got any questions, ping me a message on Instagram and I will hopefully reply because I spend too much time on that app. <laughs> you are not alone. Don't worry. <laughs> Oh, it's a time suck. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't have well, TikTok and I'm scared to get it. I'm, I'm terrified. Yeah, I think that's way worse for the doom scrolling. <laughs> Definite doom yeah. scrolling. Well, thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciated the chance to talk to you. This is definitely one for those competitors out there or budding competitors. And yeah, we recommend that everyone keeps listening now for the recording of the Coffee Competitions panel from Manchester Coffee Festival. Again, just a little reminder, this was recorded at a busy event. So the sound quality drops a couple of points, but it's well worth sticking around for it. And yeah, thank you all for listening to this episode. We'll be back soon for another episode of Brewing It Over. Hello, welcome to another panel. Our second to last instalment of this year's festival and it's been fantastic. We have got a panel on coffee competitions with Dan Lacey moderating from Extract Coffee Roasters. We have Ali and Tracy in the corner as our BSL interpreters and we do have headphones if you'd prefer just let one of us know and we can sort them out. I think that's it from me. I'm going to pass over and then let them all do their stuff. Fantastic. Thank you very much. You guys hear me okay? Good. I was worried about my voice. And thank you, Tommy, for giving me some strepsils before. I'm just about here with you. <laughs> I want a huge thanks, um, first of all, to Ali and Tracy for, for interpreting today. We tried to give them some notes ahead of time, um, but this is going to be a relatively free-ranging conversation. So um, thank you so much. So I want to introduce these guys. Um, you probably know some of them before. And it's quite it's a real pleasure for me to be able to sit here and have a chat with you, having judged most of you for the last for the eight or 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, judge with some of you uh, and, and also sat there scoring and deliberating uh, at the same time. So thank you very much for taking the time. So we've got Claire Wallace here, um, who is the current UK BC champion yeah. and world Woo. number three, Woo. head of coffee and quality at Assembly. Competed in the the Coffee Masters a few times. Scottish Aero Press champion as well. So we're all accoladed. (laughs) We've got Dan Fellows, two times World Coffee in Good Spirits champion. I think the only person to -to back-to-back defend the title. Yeah. Yeah, it's epic. Someone defended cup tasters, which I think is the most impressive thing I've ever heard. Yeah. That's much harder. Yeah. (laughs) And and currently uh, producing coffee cocktail videos, YouTube. I had a look the other day at some of them. 154,000 views in a month uh yeah it's mind-blowing espresso martini everyone's cool. kind of liking to do it so it's incredible to really Thanks. see a lot of amount of content going out there as well appreciate it and we've got yana slamova who we have worked with at various gauges and different competitions for a long long time <laughs> three times ukbc champion uh sorry finalist and um and also been involved in setting up competitions within internal businesses as well which is uh, we're going to talk about a little bit today as well so i want to start off yana asking you about the first time you competed what was the first competition you were in my god that's a long time ago i think it was my first year in the uk and um, i was a barista and i was using union hand roasted coffee right and, and they were having their own kind of internal competition and you know i knew nothing about coffee i knew uh, i barely spoke english i could barely calibrate the grinder but there was someone who actually saw the potential in me and uh, said you know what you should try it i had no idea what i signed up for <laughs> and if i knew i wouldn't probably do it <laughs> yeah and uh, how did it go well i won there you go yes so Natural i won the internal nice. competition uh, which was uh, pretty mind-blowing it was a big big moment of my coffee career i must yeah. say do, do you think that moment of competing and understanding that world did that make you 
want to get more and more involved in it? Is it? Absolutely. I am a naturally like very curious person. I also come from a dancing background, so performing is okay. kind of within me. So I always like loved being on stage. But yeah, I think it just really got me curious about like how things stay certain way, why are we doing it and what goes into it. So um, I think, yeah, that part was like, yes, I need to kind of learn more. And from that point, when, when did you then enter some of the SCA competitions? I think it was a very like a natural kind of connection because what what's the next step after an internal competition? It's a national SCA competition. So Did they force you to enter? Was the prize absolutely. entering the championships? Yeah, I mean, like, it was fun. it was the prize, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. Like it was like, oh, we're just going <laughs> to, you know, put you through it. But actually, they kind of forced me a little bit. But yeah. I'm really, really happy about that because I wouldn't be sitting here without competitions if I'm honest yeah fantastic yeah. nice but Dan what made you first want to compete because I, I learned when I was chatting with you about this, I think you actually won a Coffee Good Spirits wait like 2012 a, de- a decade ago 10 years ago uh-huh. did you? true story yeah what? I didn't know yeah. that it was different, <laughs> different time back then and yeah I'm older than I look no yeah I don't know it was 10 years ago was I that was... the first time you competed though or? yeah Wow. I was very green. Yeah, uh, I got way further than I ever expected to, and had an absolute disaster in the world finals. Oh, really? Where I what happened? I took I took good advice badly, so I'd never really made an inverted arrow press on stage. Oh no! Uh, <laughs> and I thought the first time to try this was in the finals. <laughs> yeah, my first ever competition. That's brave. It's stupid. What like, happened? <laughs> my, so my advice to new competitors: don't change too many things at the last minute. Sure. And I built an arrow press inverted put in the coffee, the hot water. The advice was like, oh, if you invert it, you can put the cap on and squeeze the air out. No. So when you flip it, it doesn't hiss, which is, I guess, pointless. Sure. Uh, so I did that. I thought it was a really cool idea. Put the coffee in the water and bear in mind, it's almost boiling water. Yeah. Push the top down. Coffee flies out of the sides and boiling oh, water. Oh, wow. Stage. Couldn't get the cap on. In my head, I'm like, maybe I'll make an Americano instead. Tried to call a technical timeout. It was my own thing, so you can't call a timeout because it's not electrical <laughs> equipment. Absolute disaster. Didn't come last and realized what an idiot I was. How, and how I did you even get the coffee to filter through that? Uh, I just like really cranked it on. Oh, man. Pushed it through. And I didn't come last, which I'm pretty proud of. And then I really like went back to the drawing board and figured I need to gain experience. And it's the best thing that ever happened and the worst. Yeah. Because if I'd have won then, I wouldn't have then carried on doing what I did. Sure. And become a better professional because of the competitions. Yeah. Learn it's fast pretty, on your own mistakes. Pretty crap at the time, though. <laughs> That's it. Quite bleak. And Claire, you you competed in an Aeropress champion. Is that, was that the first thing? The first co- competition that you did? Yeah, that was the first thing because it felt like the least scary thing to do. Okay. So I didn't have to talk on stage. I didn't have to make eye contact with anyone. I could just be in my own little square yeah. and make a coffee and it would be fine. <laughs> and you won that, right? Yeah. The first time in? Yeah. <laughs> sure. And did you, you competed again in that competition? I didn't compete again. No, okay, I've sure. judged it a few times since. Yeah. Um, but I, by the time it came around again, I'd left Scotland and I just kind of never really. It was the Scottish heat, not like the UK full one, just just, just Scotland. And no, I never ended up competing in it again, but I competed in a bunch of other ones. So. And do you think from when, the, when you first competed, there's less pressure on you? When you go again and again, there's more pressure yeah. for each of you? I uh, Yeah. The level gets <laughs> think... harder as well, right? Yeah. Sorry? The, the level of competition increases every year as yep. well. So it's actually harder to stay in the same position. Yeah. And you probably do put more pressure. And to yourself. create something original each time yeah. as well in certain competitions. But I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're putting that pressure on yourself. Definitely. There is yeah. A, yeah. not anyone else. It's, it's uh-huh. It just comes with 100%. me, right? Yeah. And so how do you, like, 
Okay, so I'm, I'm judging competitions, and we've talked about this. I've actually never competed. I've been judging for seven, eight years now, I think. And I get really nervous judging, and that's to take nothing away from the competitors. It's like a three-T-shirt day for me. I get really, really nervous and sweaty. <laughs> um, how do you control your nerves on stage? What do you do to prepare? Because you're always such a calm competitor. You're always very composed, very clear. But how do you, how do you get those nerves under control? What is your routine? Well... Thank you for saying that because I'm probably like a swan, like who looks sure. quite okay on the top, but like actually underneath, I'm like... Yeah, it's the performance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think it comes from my like performing years as well, where you have to somehow control your nerves. But I think the competitions are really good for this because you get to learn so much about yourself sure. and how you actually handle it and how you use it in a in a good positive way but yeah there are definitely some techniques you know like everyone knows the power pose when you like stand like this for like two minutes i wasn't sure what you were doing uh, yeah, yeah i always do that like, <laughs> yeah, don't mind me yeah Preparing. exactly power pose <laughs> superman pose yeah like breathing techniques but also practice 100%. i think practice yeah. practice 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 so the more times that you're there practicing beforehand or, yeah. or on stage do you mean uh beforehand sure yeah yeah if yeah. you're trying to control your nerves on the day, it's probably too late. Yeah, I think sure. you, need, you need to get that under control as far in advance as possible. Yeah, and let everything that can go wrong go wrong before going on stage. Yeah, yeah. because something will. Yeah, and if it's happened before, you can deal with it. Like the most pro thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah, so Claire, which can mistake we, can are we, we talking about, about? There's so many. He's talking about a different I'm about thing. Oh, there's another one. Okay, so can we talk about that one first? Then I've got an incredible track records. Well, I look for like different things to a lot of people because I know. I've been on stage enough times to know how it kind of works a lot of the time. Yeah. And these microphones are fantastic. Yeah. And if they fall off, if you have a small head, freeze head. Tiny, <laughs> tiny they, pea head. If they like fall me. off your head, yeah. like it's really distracting, right? Sure. Uh, Break your Claire, rhythm out. Claire in the finals of the UK Bristol Championships, as well as doing a million amazing things, just blew my mind because her mic fell off or came loose. And within, without breaking step, just fixed the mic, carried on talking through speech and just got on with it and wow. didn't break break step and i was just like love it because that could be quite distracting yeah you know, if you've seen competitors when they're running they've got obvious music playing yeah and you use that music as a cue and for a long time we used to see a lot of people really timing their music to the different stages and i guess you use that to keep pace in your routine yeah. a little bit and so when you become off pace by something like that it must yeah. be quite you have to kind of get back on target it must yeah. be quite difficult to control that routine it was just so smooth and that's actually something you can't practice Unless you mic yourself up for training, which is next level. Maybe I did not that. do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we definitely practiced a lot of things going wrong. Like worlds, a lot of things went wrong that maybe you couldn't see. Like the music thing's interesting. People timing their routine to music so yeah. that you hear a musical cue, you know it's seven minutes. You hear another musical cue, you know it's 10 minutes. Really, really useful. Not so useful at worlds when the AV guys put my playlist on shuffle. Classic. Oh, <laughs> um, so definitely practice without music a lot. So did you um, just start the sick drink or did you? <laughs> well, I had a timer as well. So I always have a reference timer. Yeah. But I heard a song that meant that it should have been like 12 minutes. And I should have been like, yeah. And it goes, do, 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 do. Which is like your hurry up, hurry up song. And I was like pouring milk drinks. Like <laughs> oh. something gone. It's just half an hour into my routine. <laughs> and I, you just have to kind of keep your cool and just keep going. Yeah. Because even if it looks like it's gone horribly wrong, it's an absolute train crash and you think you've completely failed, you probably haven't. And you've just got to keep going and get yourself to the end of it. Yeah. Um, and I am like the greatest example of that. Yeah. So Not when we were chatting before this, you, you did tell me, and we're going to ask, you want to hear, you've seen the success of these guys. 
But I also find it quite good to know what went wrong as well. So without trying to embarrass you, you did tell me something that was quite spectacular. I'm still getting roasted for this. Yeah, so first round kind of Worlds. First ever Worlds routine. Yeah, you did. You were Sorry. cheeky. First ever routine. Went to the machine. Going to make the best shots of my life. I'm ready for this. Did my distribution tool. My brain thought, that's it. Excellent. Ace. Went to the machine. Press go. The camera zooms in. I hadn't tamped them. So they just went... We just gushed in like 10 seconds. And I just had to Turbo look at them. Shot. And I knew I had no time. Correct. There were three double shots, so I had no time were to make Were you able to again. remake it? Nope. I just kept going. And was that going into a sick drink? Yeah, thank God that was going into a sick drink. Um, yeah. But there, there was a moment where I was watching Niagara Falls happen, thinking I may as well just stop and walk off because mm. I'm done. And that was your prep for the sick drink to start of the routine? Yeah. And First it went wrong shots. straight away? Yep. I and I didn't realize I'd not tamped until I went back to make my espressos. And I thought, maybe I'll just make sure I tamp. Yay. And that turned out to be what it was. And I thought, I'm done. And I'm going home. And I came 14th. So I scraped in by one place. Wow. So like, you can make the mistake that you think is the worst possible thing to happen. But you just never know how other people are going to make mistakes that day. And do you think your years of competing is giving you that ability to compose yourself in that. Because yeah. I think a lot of people look at the success and they think, wow, they, you know, you won. And you all had success early on by winning a first competition and then actually dug back into it, spent more time, didn't win, didn't win. And that that's really hard. So I want to ask you um, about that. Like when when you don't win, you came in the UKBC third maybe once. Yeah. To, and, and then second the and tantalizing. And that that kind of you know, incredible success. And as Dan said before, the competition gets harder each year. When we do judges calibration, we look at Latte Art world champion winners from six years ago and we all think, well, I could have probably done that. And, and now you're like, I don't understand how you did that. And it does, it gets pushed on and the originality gets harder and harder. What made you want to keep going back and again and again? Besides being stubborn and competitive, which is definitely a streak in my personality. Sure. I just loved... I try and like not look at what everyone else is doing and try and just look at it as my own growth journey because the first competition I did, the UKBC, like you guys said, green, so green. I knew nothing about coffee. And the jump in my knowledge gap from my first ever entry to third place in my first SCA competition, I was like a completely different barista. Sure. And I just wanted to keep doing that and keep going and seeing how much better I could get at it. So it was almost like a personal vendetta against myself okay. to see how far I could go. Not who I could beat, but that sort of thing. You're competing against um, yourself as much as everybody pretty much, else. Yeah, and that's really the only barometer. The best focus as well. It's the only barometer you can really have because you can't control what anyone else is doing. Yeah. And it's probably the easiest way to get through a competition without completely psyching yourself out. Because if you focus too much on everyone else's yeah. routines, if you watch too many social media posts of everyone training really hard. Look at me, 1410. <laughs> oh, the anxiety. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a really important point because you're only competing against yourself. You're yeah. never competing against anyone. Yeah. So you just got to push sure. yourself yeah. further. And every year you sort of build a new layer of skills and a new sort of level of competence that you then don't have to do again the following year so you can build on top of it. Yeah. Sure. Um, so every year you just become a more rounded professional and better at, and better at being on stage. Yeah. If you compete to win, you'll probably fail every mm. time until you win. Yeah. yeah. But if you compete to improve, you're working towards a goal, right? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And I think that's true I, of judging as well. The, I remember the first time that I judged <laughs> in a competition, you talk about imposter syndrome. Like I knew I was a trainer. I, I could talk about coffee. I could present. And I sat in a room of people 
I'd read the rules, of course, and I didn't really understand that. RTFR. Really? And, <laughs> and, and the first year, and I feel really bad because you probably experienced some of my judging of the first year. I had no idea what I was doing, really. And you have to sort of give your score out and put yourself in a quite a vulnerable position to, to, to then improve and improve on it uh, over the years. So I think when did what you you're saying about then? layering and that. What year did you start judging? Uh, I think it was about seven years ago. It was in Bristol. And mm, yeah, it was really hard. It's and stressful, I, right? I didn't think what I'd be invited back at all. Right. You know, I really didn't know. But again, it's that trusting yourself and that, that putting yourself in an uncomfortable position that you all do yeah. Yeah. Um, to do that. Jana, I want to talk a little bit about coaching. So you spent a fair bit of time coaching. So all of these elements of the competition are quite difficult and they're quite stressful. Competing is stressful. You're working with yourself. You spend time coaching people, which means you're supporting them. You build their routine. You've created something that you think is going to resonate. They have to deliver on the day. And you're still on the sidelines. Is that any easier? Oh, no, it's the worst thing in the world. <laughs> like you have to let go and just let them do their own thing and you can't control them. So you have no idea what's going to happen on that stage. Yeah. But you know what should happen. So it's it's nerve wracking. Yeah, I think it's so much worse than actually being the on the stage. More, right? You just like you start a timer and it's like, oh, yeah, it's like the little, little Whereas things on stage, like you're like swanning yeah. around. It's the words. Yeah, it's, it's the little more details. Oh, so much more. Yeah. Hundred percent. Are you still going to keep doing it, right? I still love it, and I, I will keep doing it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's That's... like this love and hate relationship, right? Yeah. And so, Dan, about coaching, like who who have you had in your coaching team? What? How have you practiced these things? Because it's really easy to convince yourself that you're doing a good thing, and it's also yeah. really easy to doubt yourself. So, who's been involved in that uh, with you? And the the general guide is to have people who have strengths where you have weaknesses. Sure. Because if you have people who just say yes to all your ideas. They're not really coaching you. They're just reinforcing your ideas, which is useful. Yeah. But you need people to challenge you. Like I've always had very good professionals around me. Paul Ross, uh, Will Pitts, Dan O'Regan. You know, there's a big team of us all competing and also competitors. And when you get to Worlds, judges are able to be a little bit more involved. So having people who, after the routine, can tell you what they enjoyed, what they didn't enjoy. Can't yeah. tell you what to work on specifically. No, it's the dance uh, around don't coaching thing. But we'll you can really... About dive into the feedback because you need to improve at every level in order to stay at a high level. Mm. So people who are willing to challenge you and say, I actually don't like this, are the best people to have around. Hence Rosa, oh, who yeah. does not hold back. No, 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 no. <laughs> I don't, I'm sure many people in the room know Rosa yeah. from the Gentleman Baristas, who's my <laughs> She's coach coaching, for the yeah. past two years. And we're like yin and yang. Especially backstage, it's very clear to see. I'm having a meltdown in the corner because I don't know my tasting notes. She's just standing there going... You're fine. Get up. Go. Make the shots. Yeah. She's very composed and very, yeah. Having the personality of her and the personality of me backstage together works very well. And I'm, I'm like, even if you're an experienced coach or an experienced competitor or not, you can find a friend who's the yin to your yang personality wise that will help yep. you backstage to keep it together. Um, it's like a big, a big tip. I think each of you have now judged in competitions as well. And so I just want to talk a little bit about the judging part of it. Obviously, the competitive part of it is where you get to win. The judging part is kind of the behind the scenes. Um, so to be clear about the judging, we attend calibration. So we spend a couple of days doing uh, learning and education and tests, sensory tests, practical tests around uh, technical ability. You've each been to those calibrations and you've judged. As judges, we feel an incredible amount of responsibility 
to give you our attention to get the score right, which is why I get really nervous because I don't want to mess it up. I don't want to make mistakes on stage. Uh, I've made mistakes on stage. I dropped a spoon as soon as I sat down once. And Dan very smoothly just went, he had an extra spare spoon for me in a really? Brewers Cup in maybe <laughs> Leeds or somewhere. <laughs> just smooth as it hit the ground. I was like, shit. The competitor started and he just went, there you go. And it's that preparation that we need to get to as That's well. That's the competitor in me. Yes, for sure. And so when you've gone into judging, what have you seen about the rules or about the way the judges behave that you didn't see as a competitor? I mean, more than anything, as a judge, you really can appreciate a competitor's pacing of their routine because sure. you, I think a lot of the time the competitors don't actually realize how much the judges have to absorb and have to write down. Yep. And in the judging seat, you can really tell the difference between a competitor who's thought about where am I pausing? Where am I allowing my routine to flow so that the judges can judge me the best that they can versus competitors who maybe haven't really thought that through and make it a very tense experience to judge them sure whether they're you know they'll be doing well or not doing well but that's the little kind of tweaks you can make to your routine to accommodate the judges allowing you allowing the judges to score you in a way that's easy for them so judging Um, helps you learn to pace your routine a little because i realized what was working and what wasn't working from me having to write them all down (laughs) sure and me being able to absorb the tasting notes enough to judge it properly uh, helped me to go okay on the other side of things i can help these guys out here and slow down here, give them a pause here, yeah. do things that they won't notice that they don't need to see yeah. and vice versa. Um, so that was really, really helpful. Yeah, we do see that with some competitors saying, and judges, I'll leave you to assess your espresso. I'm going to have to do this thing. And it shows that control as well. Yeah. So as a judge, you're rewarding points based on the score sheet, but you're looking for a controlled composure of the whole routine as well. Yeah. Uh, and you're right, we really do see a, a difference, I think. It's like an element of hospitality within your routine that it's yeah. just a, a subtle nod to the barista profession and it being executed well, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Dan, you took some time out of competing yeah, to, uh, judge. to judge. Was that, yeah. was that tactical? That was, did you, were you thinking uh, I might not want to compete? I might want to be a judge? Or was that I need to go and learn this? Why did you do it? It wasn't tactical as such but i wanted to continue developing and i thought the best way to do it which it definitely was was to sit on the other side of the table yeah i just think as when i was able to come back as a competitor i just had more sort of empathy for the judges which is only saying the same thing but it was the biggest change in my level of like delivery that i've ever had in my career yeah because i just when i watch my 2016 routine versus my 2018 routine having judged in 2017 yeah the 18 feels good feels paced and i could keep up with it i could enjoy the experience yeah the 16 is like horrible to watch the machine fire information too much information which i all thought was relevant which isn't relevant and having sat sit sat on the other side of the table you just look at things completely differently yeah it's really interesting when you're talking about relevant information yeah when i was first judging you're you're writing everything down Mm-hmm. Some people will tell you details about the farm, the altitude. They might tell you the farmer's name. And you're trying to write it all down. But yeah. you also have to listen to like what's relevant to the coffee, what's yeah. going to be relevant to my experience. It's nice that you know these things, but it's a really good point about concise information. Information um, cards are nice because you can say something which doesn't need to be written down necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Yana, when you judge the first yeah, no, time... I think for me, the most challenging part about being a judge is to be able to justify my feedback. So making yeah. sure that... You know, absolutely agree with Claire, like the, every single detail and the intensity of the experience is like immense. But actually being able to justify the feedback to the competitor, because that's what they have. That's the only feedback they Who's have. So upset, right? Yeah. Right. So as a judge, I think that's where I feel the 
the biggest responsibility yeah. to be able to feed that back to the competitor. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something we really try and impress on the judges. We have scores with words. So that you have to use the words in the sentence. You describe this coffee to somebody else. And I would say, take it out of context. Oh, I had a coffee today at this cafe. It was, was all right. All right doesn't sound great. So then the score has to be two and a half to three. And you use those words of average and good. And the word average, I think, is really harsh, right? If someone says you've done an average coffee, you're like, I can work really hard at this. But actually, within the context of it, it, it just wasn't that much more. Within the context of the best coffees in the country. Yeah. Yeah. This was at the average level. Yeah. Which is still yeah. really high. And when I first started judging, there was a, a real sense of uh, some head judges telling the other judges what to score. No, no, this is this, this is that. And we've really worked really hard on that in the last few years to make sure that the the judges are calibrated really well so they're confident and to support them in what they're writing down and encouraging them to give the feedback. You're explaining it to somebody who missed out by two points. They're going to look at you because you scored it a little bit worse than that person. Why? And if you can explain that in words and you can confidently explain it to me, then your score's correct. And I never try and get people to move scores uh, that much because you want them to be confident in that. Yeah. And, and I imagine that like, sorry, half of go. the points yeah. can make such a big difference in someone yeah. else's career. And the multipliers as well. Right? So that, yeah, go, career. So. That's, that's yeah. a good point. You know, half so a point can half give a point. you loads of opportunities because you might win. Yeah. Or yeah way less opportunities if you don't win. But that's yeah, also what the competitor finals. will take with them and go, okay, this and this and this and this is where I need to improve for yeah. next season. Yeah. And if they can't decipher where they've gone wrong, the journey of their own personal sort of growth and, and expansion is stalled, which is a lot of pressure on the judges. Sorry. <laughs> there, there is a lot of pressure and there should be. And I think people take it very seriously. I know I always do. And I, I say, we get really, really nervous to it. We want to be focused. And I really push the judges to be focused on as competitors. A comment you made... Um, after you just won, and you probably can't remember because it was quite a scramble, is about the volume of information that you saw. And I, I wonder, because you guys have competed now for several years, have you seen that level of um, detail change over the years? Do you mean judges writing on the score sheet yeah. sort of thing? To be honest, those judges write down so much in 15 minutes, I have mm. no idea how they do it. Uh, but I actually really appreciate it because it shows that I can actually follow the score sheet. I know when I judged, I couldn't write down everything I wanted to write down. It's really hard. So the, yeah, the more experienced judges definitely can really fill it in and then you can follow the story of it. Yeah. Um, so if anything, at Worlds, the, my score sheets were full. They were so full. <laughs> yeah. Which, but it was good because I had yeah. lots to work with. Yeah, and it's that justifying your score. Yeah. And it's really hard if you like me, you're terrible at writing. Scratchy little pencil. I can't read my own notes. So it's actually easier as a head judge. I don't have to write that much anymore. It's probably why they promoted me. I don't really know. <laughs> Jan, I want to talk a little bit about um, the progression of competitions. And you've been a real driving force within your role at Baxter Story for uh, this sort of what we call like an internal business competition, the first things that you did. Mm. How do you see the value of that feeding in for the business and the baristas? And and, and feeding into the SCA competitions if people want to. Sure. Well, as I said, I think I would not be sitting here without internal competitions, right? So I think it's so valuable for baristas, businesses, everyone kind of involved. And I think it's like a vehicle for uh, development, uh, learning. You you learn so much in such a short period of time. It's yeah. like, it's incredible, you know, and that development, the trainer which goes into it, creating that experience, passion, it's yeah, it helps with everyone wins, right? Yeah. In a way, like there's, it, like everyone wins. It's an extra layer of feedback as well, mm -hmm. which is why I was speaking to Will yesterday about how I don't necessarily think the compulsory round of barista competitions where it's just espresso and milk yeah. 
really help people. It helps accessibility for sure, mm, but yeah. it doesn't help performance because you have one less level of feedback on your signature drink, which yes. most people find the hardest. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm not strongly pro or against that format, yep. mm. but there are strong pros and cons to it. Yeah. Uh, and I think where people struggle the most is making signature drinks yes. to have one less it hasn't gone through the ringer. We've One seen a rep. change in the quality or yeah. the complexity, I think, yeah. since we did that. And so just to explain, with the UKBC in particular, there's normally three courses. There's an espresso round, there's a milk round, and there's a signature drink. To improve accessibility, to reduce the cost of entry, the time, to get more people wanting to be able to compete, we in the heats, and it's what they do in America where they have a big pool of people, is we just do an espresso and milk round. It's quite a short format. It's about 10 minutes. So it's quite a lot of the time when how fiddly the stick drinks can be. And we created that and it allows us to get lots more competitors competing. It allows more baristas to engage with it. But we have, and it, I guess this is a judgment, we've seen the quality of the signature drinks. They're, they're not as refined because the first time they do them is at the sort of semi-final stage. And then the next day is the final. Controversial opinion, which hey. has just come to me. Spicy. Don't do espresso because to score higher on espresso, you need a super expensive coffee, broadly speaking. But to make a great milk drink and a great signature drink, you don't need a super expensive coffee. Yeah. So actually, it's more accessible to do a signature drink. Sure. Controversial opinion. Okay. Ooh. Open for discussion. I like it. Just I think it could work. Because <laughs> there's a different competition as well with the Brewers' Cup. Who's done in the Brewers' Cup before? I've actually never done it. I haven't. No. I've coached. Well, part of the well, team of judged. Sierra, but yeah. coached as well. But no, yeah. So Brewers Cup in particular is it's a really lovely one to judge because you're just drinking really nice filter coffee all day. It's quite nice. Sig drinks can, can be custody. They can be slightly acidic, and you're layering them with espressos and milk. And as a judge, it's a bit gnarly uh, throughout the day sometimes. So the Brewers Cup is really nice, and in that we have a compulsory round where all the competitors are given the same coffee and they have to brew it. What's interesting we've seen with that is that people will spend a lot of time crafting their routine, but not manage to nail those compulsory coffees. And it's a really good test uh, of a brewer to just take a coffee, dial it in quickly, work out what they want to do with it, improve it, serve it. And it's all done blind. So there's no ability to influence the judge. There's no uh, prejudice. There's no bias in there. And it should be the essential skill of average barista, right? Yeah. That's yeah. what we do every Here's single day. a coffee, day, dial it in, make yeah. it good. Yeah. yeah. I like what you're saying about taking the espresso round out. Well, everyone's going to make an espresso within a gram or two of themselves, of each yeah. other. They're going to have a yield within a gram or two either way. Pretty much around a one to two dose yield. It's going to be within two or three seconds either way. Yep. A lot of which is in the control of the grinder on this stage rather than the barista. So in order to make a signature drink and a milk drink, you need yeah. to make espresso. Yeah. So you know how to do it. I'm not, I haven't thought this through. <laughs> I like it. But like everyone knows how to make espresso and you can make great drinks with affordable coffee. And to be fair, this is, what we, that this is what we do in our internal competitions. We give every single competitor the same coffee yeah. to practice with. And I yeah. think it's such a great experience for everyone. And it's fair, right? Yeah. Because then you're removing the variables and also it's so much more accessible to every single yeah. barista yeah and it's interesting with that those competitions i've judged in them with you supporting the business that with the same coffee you can get such a range of flavors out of it you know the baristas some of them really have control and if it's a roastier coffee they can really dial it back and you, you get quite a range it's it's like the compulsory round where you're drinking the same coffee all day but it's interesting to see what they do with it yeah. for sure yeah 100 percent Spicy take. Change the game. I know. So if it gets changed now, then you get the ownership of this, right? I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a great idea. You like, can run it. Signature drinks are so hard. 
yeah. that to get more practice is just such a good thing. And yeah. they apply beyond competition. Like if you can make a banging signature drink with coffee, you can sell that. You made both made so many drinks with coffee. They're delicious, which you wouldn't have probably done had you not done signature drinks and barista comps. And it also applies to cocktails. Yeah. Fantastic. Claire, I want to ask you a question. I really agonized over this question um, because um, I think it is important people want to know. And we've talked about this as well, Jana, but you're the first woman to win the UKBC in, I think, 18 years. And actually, no one can tell me who the first person was. That's a whole generation of people competing without uh, seeing that representation. And that's quite a powerful position. It's quite a wonderful position. How did you ever see that as a barrier to entry? Did you ever see that lack of representation as a, as a challenge, a frustration? Did you question why? I mean, yeah, I think you, you do a little bit. When it happens, when it's not happened in such a long time, yeah. I think it's kind of inevitable that everyone go, kind of goes, why is this the case? Because it's not like we don't have an abundance of an amazing female baristas in the UK. Yeah, we have yeah. loads and loads of them. So why is the sort of representation on a cafe front not really reflected in the representation on a national and world's level and yeah i did wonder it and it is kind of discouraging sometimes when you're like is this even possible yeah i keep putting doing it again and again and again is this even possible should i even like do this i always i'm like ah pressure um but yeah i think winning felt nice because i felt like oh this is possible cool we can do this um and i would like to try and help as many sort of green sort of baristas who might have been a bit hesitant to do a competition because they felt like oh maybe i can't do this to try and help sort of get them encourage them and, and help yeah. them grow as much as i can because i've been in that position myself i think yeah. encouragement's key right yeah encouraging everyone yeah definitely as broadly yeah. as possible to compete yeah because it's quite intimidating and the yeah. more the more it's dominated by a specific gender or whatever or people from a particular role in the industry yeah, yeah the more of a barrier of entry barrier to entry it is because it's like well actually brista comps aren't really dominated by baristas in terms of numbers of entries. yeah i was thinking not. that so yeah. like if it's like oh, i have to work for a roastery to enter a barista comp that's wrong like we should be encouraging baristas people from every different background to enter yeah and there has been a debate certainly at worlds there was a, a sort of back and forth backstage um about whether in the barista competition, an element of compulsory round, much like the Brewers' Cup, should yeah. be added to level the playing field like you do at Baxter Story. Yeah. And I think that's where it could level the playing field back towards working baristas, yeah. 40 hours a week oh, on yeah. bar who dial in every yeah. single day. I, am I, have, I have an idea. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't dial in at home. I just brew whatever comes out. Yeah. Um, and I think a compulsory round would really shift that balance back to not us lucky people in offices who can yeah. don't break our backs tamping all the time um, and i think there is a really good point like now i'm thinking about it because obviously we talked about it and yeah. then i thought about it quite a lot if i'm honest like yeah. why is that yeah um and i've never like thought about myself as a kind of female competitor like i see myself as a competitor so yeah. you know my sex has nothing to do with it but actually in our internal competitions i think the representation is quite even yeah so i wonder if really that's like why is it changing? Why yeah. why it's been and female champions in the Brook and the Baxter Story come for quite a few years. Yeah, right? yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Like the last three, like yeah, oh. the last three. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And even like if you have a look at the overall like female, yeah, competitors, it's like yeah. I would say it's like very even. So yeah, yeah, I think there's definitely something to to think about. Yeah, it's something that I've thought about a lot as a as a judge. Like, is there a bias in me? Am I looking for someone that I recognize and? 
you know, I agonize over it, really do. And I think we've worked really, really hard with the judging panels of, of creating more diversity there. I think the judge, when you look at the judging teams, they're much more evenly mixed across the business now. And I think that must help because I think, I don't think there's an active bias. I think there must be a subconscious and there's something about not seeing yourself there that might make you think, well, maybe it isn't possible. So yeah. I think it is really pivotal. And, you know, when I, because I judged, say I was a head judge in the competition where you won and I knew the scores had gone through. We check everything backstage. And I knew that Camilla, who works for VA, was over there before. And I knew she didn't know. And she's such an advocate of everyone in the coffee industry, but especially women, for sure. And I, I watched her announce Sierra's, which I didn't know about because I wasn't involved in that competition. And I was watching Camilla as she read and I saw the gasp. And it just literally made me well up. It was so, I found it really emotional to do. Um, but I also hate the fact that that's, that's a thing. That's yeah. like, right? We should not even be talking about it. I know. No, we shouldn't. And hopefully we won't need to anymore. When you've used competitions for learning for personal development what have you found the key thing yana that's uh, that's that you've grown with when you're doing that like what what's the what's the biggest thing that you've learned about yourself or in coffee from competitions Ooh, where, what have you how, how long do you have <laughs> how long have we got have we got a time check on it <laughs> Um, time check oh my goodness <laughs> time check please time check please <laughs> oh my goodness oh gosh um, yeah I Fair think enough. that would be one of them like you know like time okay there you go so, time like how you actually how you yeah how you behave under pressure right yeah. like how do you handle it uh, how you deal with it you have to find a way to kind of balance things out as well and um, yeah I mean there's so much. I don't even know where to start in a way. <laughs> sure. Dan, you've, I think, you know, been incredibly successful with the competitions. Was that part of the plan for you then to create your brand of producing coffee cocktail videos and that ambassadorial role? Did, did, I, was it part of the plan or was it now I've done this, I'm going to do this? It, was, it gives you the freedom. It was not part of the plan. Not plan. It was it like nothing's planned. It was expensive improvisation. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I did competitions for like seven years. Yeah. I felt like I was learning things every year so quickly and really like it's very rewarding. I was improving at things. Uh, I was working towards just being the best possible competitor I could be as well as being like, able to manage time. Then I started working for myself and I learned loads for two years. Started working with Slayer and learned loads about espresso and like a million things. And then I was like, I need to keep learning. Yeah. And, you know, lockdown happened. I moved away from the city. So I needed to find ways to be creative at home. Yeah, pandemic. And I just thought, you know, if I can learn stuff and then share what I've learned with people, then at least I'm getting something out of it because I'm learning stuff. And if other people get things out of it, that's amazing. And that was the strategy, just to learn and stay stay up to speed. Because if you stop learning, the industry moves so fast, you'll yeah. be so far behind. For sure. It's the reason. Uh, how about you, Claire? I mean... I think we well, competed back to back quite a few years oh, I now. No, it's not over it. Uh, <laughs> I actually it's... think the more I did competition and like working through all the different bits you need to know and bits you need to learn about to craft a routine yep. and getting involved in like, oh, how was this coffee roasted? I need to know that. Oh, how was it sourced? I need to know that. I learned so much about the entire supply chain from going through that process and it kind of helped shape where I took my career in the end yep. because I found, oh, I'm actually really curious about how that coffee's roasted. I know nothing about it. I love crafting flavor. I love understanding how that's created. Maybe I'll try and go that way. And then the green supply chain side of things is also kind of stemmed out of learning how 
competition coffees are sourced and then just how coffee sourced in general. Yeah. It's kind of shaped, yeah, where my interests have taken me and where my career has taken me. And without competition, I don't know if I would have been exposed so quickly to all those different elements of the industry. Because yeah. even just having to learn about all that stuff, you go, oh, that bit was quite interesting. Maybe there's a job for me where I can explore that some more. So that's probably the biggest takeaway from competition, actually, is just the shaping of my career. Yeah. So has that helped you craft the role that you're doing now? Pretty much. Gives you more yeah. focus on the things that you're really interested yeah, in. Stuff I really like doing, stuff I find really interesting. Yeah. Cool. Let's just do that and get paid for it. Great. Yeah. <laughs> and so competing again next year, coaching. Next what year is in like eight weeks, man. Oh, yeah, I know. That's why I'm leaving the country. I'm done. <sighs> I would definitely compete again in other competitions. I think there's other ones that I've put off for a while. Did you say six? Sig's, yeah, Sig's been yeah, on my yeah, list sure. for like seven years. But yeah, Barista. Eight out of eight. Um, barista competition is coming up again so soon. Yeah. And I've just done six months of solid work. So you're for then to do another which, three months. And then if means, I win another three months, which I might. means you're match fit. <laughs> I'm too old for this now. I might die. <laughs> um, I think I'll maybe step back for a bit, enjoy having hobbies, and maybe help some other people yeah. get learn the stuff that I've learned. And you've got to be more nervous to... on the sideline, apparently. Yeah. Probably. Yana's like, don't. We can, we can hold 100%. each other's hands. So, yeah. I think it's massively important for, you know, competitors and judges to support the industry. You know, it, it, it's a voluntary basis, right? The whole competitions are run. There's hundreds of people involved in this. I think some people think judging or competing is quite glamorous. I've had early train rides, budget hotels, sandwiches eaten in the back of a kitchen on a bin lid was one particular delicious delight. And, and it is really, really hard work and somewhat unrewarding, perhaps, but... What makes you want to keep involved? I love it. Huh? I love it. You love it? Yeah. I don't mind. End of answer. Uh, train rides. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, if we, I think we all are in a pretty lucky position to get paid to do something we really enjoy. Yeah. yeah. And if you can do, if you like, so we've all gone down different routes with where we've taken coffee. I like to do things with it. You like to roast it. You are just working with a huge company and trying to scale coffee. So we've taken different approaches to what we can do with coffee. So there's no one best way. Can't remember if this answers the question. Uh, why do I still do it? Because yeah, there's so much you can do with coffee. Uh, you don't have to take one specific path. There are many opportunities. Yeah, and I think nice. that's what the judging and coaching is for—to show people, like you know, there's no one thing you can do. There's so much to it, and yeah. connecting the right people and uh, opening the right doors for the opportunities. So, mm. yeah. And do you think the competitions are accessible to everybody? No. Like, do, do you think we have a problem with that where yeah. it's and so what are the key things what are the problems you might not have the solutions you might have ideas but yeah. i definitely don't have the answer for this but i definitely think that it's not accessible to everyone mm. and without a team and massive support yeah you won't do well unfortunately so you can't just freestyle it on your you own rock up the, i don't think you will do very well without specifically in like the bcs or yes yeah, specifically or... with like yeah absolutely the, yeah. the rest of the competitions where yeah. you need the equipment you need the the right coffee you need that support you need the resources you need time to practice so yeah and that, that problem's top down because if even if the uk is extremely accessible and a shop barista wins the uk worlds is incredibly expensive mm -hmm. having right. just been there and realized how much money i spent and i wasn't i wasn't extravagant in my stage setup mm -hmm. particularly um i just had some perspex boxes and some like a5 sheets on a plinth but just the sheer amount of stuff you have to do, the stuff you have to take. I went to an expensive place, but still, the amount of time and money you have to take time off work to go there, potentially. So, so you, your um, employer has to support you with that then? Yeah. So it's 
it's an the BCs particularly is an incredibly expensive competition. And once you've won, beyond your flights and accommodation covered, excellent. You're kind of on your own. Sure. And it's a bit tricky in that respect if you're not surrounded by that support financially, emotionally, spiritually. I don't know. I mean, you need a PA um, for barista comps. Oh my god, I needed a, world, a PA. For sure. I so needed yeah, a someone, team. You need a personal assistant to like yeah. help really? with all the million things you have to do, which actually aren't relevant to the routine. It's, right. Yeah, and it's I. I don't have the answers either, but I would love to see it a little bit more once you've won. Potentially, if you're the first time winner of a nationals, perhaps we could guide or help national winners kind of on the world's journey to not bankrupt themselves and burn out, but to yeah. guide them on that journey because we've got so many champions who've done it before. Yeah. Um, but I felt a little bit not adrift, but a little bit like oh. I don't know how to ship things across the world. I don't know how much this is going to cost. I don't, don't know. Yeah. If it's going to get through customs. Is it going to get through customs? In Australia. Does yeah. anyone travel to Australia? Customs are quite strict. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you turn up with a box of tricks and they go, uh, yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot of different facets of inaccessibility. Even even if we get it at a national level, the world is another floating element. Um, so yeah, I don't have the answers, but I have the problems. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. <laughs> have you got a favorite competition? You've watched lots of them, whether you've competed them in again, but have you got a favorite? Like this is pretty fun, right? As a spectator sport, this is the f- most the cup fun taste one to is, watch. is like you see someone win, and I think it's probably the fun one to watch. Definitely, the latte one. art quite fun to watch. Spectators, you can see if someone's done well. But I mean, I've only done BCs and done really badly at cup tasters, so I'm okay. not going to say that one. Um, <laughs> I mean, I love barista championship, but that's because I was a barista and it helped me blossom as a barista. But also, SIGs looks really fun. It is actually fun. Like and the yeah. backstage experience at barista competitions is quite tense mm-hmm. yeah which we need to work on why is it so tense there's so much riding on it yeah the stakes are so high okay i've seen worlds which are very intimidating for people who are there the first time yeah. i've seen really good atmospheres as well relatively speaking mm-hmm. but coffee and good spirits everyone's there to have a good time really there's alcohol involved which helps yeah uh the drinks are fun the routines are, i would say more fun the vibes are better at coffee and good spirits the best experiences i've ever had backstage were in the Coffee and Good Spirits competitions. Yeah. For sure. Is that because you guys are all just drinking? Or is that... <laughs> well, yeah. And it know. does always seem a lot more jovial. Like, oh, it seems a bit more relaxed. And also, for, the, for us, all the latte art people are over there, like, very serious. Yeah. <laughs> really? So, all the Good Spirits jokers, well, some of them aren't. Uh, <laughs> and then all the, the Good Spirits people are there just to have a good time and, like, make really tasty drinks. Yeah. And if you shake a bit with Good Spirits, it's kind of fine. Yeah. If you're shaking a latte out comp, it's like comp. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and I yeah. think it's the only kind of competition where you can get something out of it as a as a spectator you who knows nothing about coffee. Yeah. You can, say, you can just say, oh, this drinks looks cool. I might try it at home. Yeah. yeah. Maybe not, obviously, to that level, but like you can actually get something out of it. Mm-hmm. Like the other competitions, I think it's very hard because you're not tasting the drinks. So yeah. as a spectator. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also interesting with a... In any of the competitions, the only time you don't taste your drinks is on the day. On right? the actual stage, yeah. yeah. You know what it should taste like, but you don't get it that day. No, we take it and we take it away. We don't let you have it. So, I think the fact know, with uh, Good Spirits, you're less reliant on very specific brewing details. Yeah. Sure. Because you have other things in there to know what the drink will just about yeah, Because you're taste building like. each drink. Whereas if, you know, if a shot runs in WBC three seconds faster than it should... That's huge. Yeah. Your flavor has changed. In good spirits, you can pretty much fix that or balance that or... Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's less very specific pressure on things that are pretty much out of your control. Yeah. I always feel 
really like I miss out with a six because I, I just couldn't I couldn't drink whiskey coffee drinks all day. I would be terrible, and I've never never judged in it because I just I drink it and I look at it and I'm like, they all the judges are like it. Uh-huh. Uh, it was a great time. <laughs> It's, uh, it is the, the other ones are a bit more serious, but it's interesting. You talk about things being a bit more lighthearted. A good friend of mine who works in the bar industry came to watch uh, one in Bristol. And his first thing was, what are all those people doing on stage? And I was like, they're the judges. He said, well, all of them. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, there's four judges doing the drinks. There's two people to do the technical. There's a head judge there making sure everyone does their thing correctly. And he was just like, Mad, and we judged together in a, in a bar competition in Bristol. Yeah. yeah they have like uh, very two different. Judges, right? We were like, very what's different. the criteria? They're like, the best drink in the funnest routine, you know, like it, like it was like, make it up. Uh-huh. Um, I think maybe some of our competitions have a little to learn about uh, opening that up and keeping it, making it a bit more fun. Perhaps. Yeah. yeah. This yeah. is why it needs to be more, more accessible in every way. But because like, it's so, there's so many judges like, look, when you're on stage, you, well, I don't notice judges unless they really get in the way, which they don't because they're pros. You just don't <laughs> notice they're there. Try. But when you look at the stage, it's very intimidating. It's swamped. Yeah. 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 So like seven judges easily around somebody competing. It's quite intense. Very intense. For sure. You mentioned something when we were chatting about um, the focus when you've got a room full of people and everything. And you said about just talking to that mm-hmm. four judges that are there. And it's something that I've used when I've done public speaking with like hundreds of people in a room. There's a hundred people in the room, you're listening, but actually if I tell a little bit of the story to you and I tell you a little bit of the story, I tell you a little bit of the story and I'm like, there's only one person in the room, there's only one person in the room and I get a little bit less nervous and I think you do the same thing with the four judges that are there and try and block everybody else Yeah, definitely. Out. It's kind of a, like I also come from a performing background. I think it's like a failed actor syndrome. None of us got into performing art school, so here we are. But yeah, it's, it's you've always, or you should always practice with people in the judging seats when you're doing your, your run-throughs. So when I'm on stage and there's maybe a hundred people in like seats all around you. And cameras as well. And cameras and all that sort of stuff. If you just think there's just these four people, I've done it to four people 20 times already. I can do this again. And that just try and tune out everything else. That really helps it to feel a little bit more, a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more intimate just with the judges that are in front of you. And And kind of tempers the anxiety a little bit. Also knowing the fact that the judges are as nervous as you are. Yeah, they are terrified, by the way. Terrified. Yeah, always. So it puts them at ease as well if you're not sort of looking around and looking behind them and looking like, um, if it's just you and them, it's a bit more relaxing for everybody. Um, Any other tidbits of advice for people that are thinking about competing? Do it. Do it. Do it. Or do it while being involved. Don't, you don't have to compete to be involved. Sure. There you go. There's a million, not millions, there are many things you can do yep. around competition that will develop your network, yep. your expertise, your experience. So be involved. Do, yep. the, do the thing that attracts you. And scares you a bit. Yeah. Yeah. If someone's intimidated at, by how the thing, everything works, it looks very complex. There's lots of moving parts. Volunteering in the backstage is a really yeah. great way to yeah. see how the mechanics of it work, but also what the other competitors are doing in their backstage sure. time, how the other coaches like sort of prepping. It gives you go, oh, that's a good thing to do. Scroll that away for next year. Yeah. Oh, that's a good, oh, okay. And it allows you to sort of take inspiration and ideas from other people. So when you go in as a competitor, you don't have that like sensory overload of this yeah. is how it all works. You've sure. already done it. So not to take it like the other way, don't get like analysis paralysis. Sure. Don't spend so long looking at the competitions that you never do it. Yeah. The best way to learn is to do it. If, if, if you ever aspire to do a competition, start now. So when, the, when you think you might be ready, you've already got loads of experience. Nice. I mean, that worked for me. Just knew nothing about it and just went for it. 
Yeah. And if I if I think if I thought about it, I wouldn't you wouldn't be competing as much. Yeah. I just do yeah. it. Yeah. Hundred percent. And, yeah. 100%. and I'll second that for the judges as well. Like it it, it does feel really intimidating. Um, but actually, you're surrounded by people who are experienced. They're there to help you. They're there to help you learn, to understand. You never feel that ready at your first few routines. But by the end of the day, you're a pro. Fine. You know what you're doing. Everyone's there to find someone to represent us in, a, in the yeah. next level, right? Yeah. So we're all, we're all, we all have the same goal. Yeah. I think we're getting pretty close on time. I'm getting a bit of a nod over here. Um, I don't know if there's any questions that you would like to ask um, these fantastic competitors before we have to give our mics back and go away. Please. <laughs> you might have to shout a little bit. We might have a microphone for you. Yeah, very specific. I'm com- competing this year. Uh, went through to the finals. But in- well done. Yeah. Thank, woo, woo, woo. thank you. <laughs> I do have a tendency to uh, make it quite difficult for myself and then doing something completely shit in the finals where I don't make it through. So uh, what I did, a question is more specifically about the speech. And music is a big thing there as well. I do tend to really rely on the music to know where I'm at, committee eyes, vibe, speed, etc. And in the pre-rounds, and I have a very specific speech that I set word for word. Because uh, I really wanted to bring like uh, a specific story across and my points across, so it it didn't. Re- yeah, so I had that, and I I don't I think I fucked something up. Sorry, with my music, and so after the first number, it stopped and uh, I froze. Yeah, uh, stood still and stared at the ground for like I don't know how long <laughs> to to kind of <laughs> grab where I was at, and then I could continue on, but. Uh, I got feedback to maybe because uh, you were so on your speech, every single word, like maybe do bullet points. But then how am I going to get my specific point across without like rambling on about what I don't want to say? So I was struggling on how to bring that to the finals when for me, the, the story was the most important thing to to bring across. Oof, that's a tricky one. Because you were doing it in English as well, which is your second language, right? So that's really difficult. Respect you yeah. for that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I have the benefit of English being my first language. So if I go a little bit wrong, I can kind of just go, hey, wing it and come back to it. Um, but if even if you have to learn it off by heart, a lot of it is in the delivery of it to make it sound like you haven't learned it off by heart. Mm-hmm. Um, again, failed actor. But yeah, sort of finding the parts to emphasize and the highs and the lows of the speech to try and make it sound like you're just chatting and you're really curious about the coffee but and things like that and the pacing and speech kind of helps it not sound so learned Robotic, yeah. um but then also if you're able on top of that to find parts of the routine where if you change the words it doesn't change the meaning and make and every time you do a run through say that slightly differently every time so that you get used to if you say the word wrong you can kind of pick back up on your your main thread. I find that quite useful. And I got Rosa to yell at me during the routine and just throw things at me so that my train of thought would get unlocked and then I'd have to get back on it. Right. Um, so lots of different sort of exercises there to make sure that my train of thought and my point was still heard, but there were elements of it that sounded spontaneous and sounded natural. Um, but yeah, doing it in... I don't have any experience doing it in a second language, so... I well, hope that's helpful, I can but respect relate to that. that. Oh, wait, Yana, yeah. go Yana. <laughs> uh, and because English is not my first language, and sometimes I really get into my head, even like being here on the panel, right? Like I'm speaking a different language. I absolutely relate to you. Like I have to have a script in competitions. I always had a script and I always learned word by word. But for me, going on that stage, I always remember if I re- absolutely like forget everything, on that what are the most important things i have to deliver it's the flavor notes it's tactile it's whatever like 
knowing that, like waking up in the middle of the night and knowing all of these like most important things, you will always do well. And just taking that pressure of you that you know the most important things by heart, it will be fine. But like I always had to have a script and I will, I know that if I ever compete again, I will have a script, which I will remember word by word. And I know you know this because you're experienced, but also the judges don't know your script. So if it goes wrong, it doesn't necessarily matter because they're not expecting what you're expecting. And so, that's also true if you just don't let it show on your face. <laughs> yeah. And if you can be in the second day, and that's probably one of the hardest things when you go from a semi-final one day to the final next day, you don't get any feedback, right? We hold it back. I don't know why it's the rules. Uh, and the next day you have to do the same thing again. And you will have some of the same judges. And we always tell the judges, you are listening to today. You're yeah. not comparing to yesterday. Mm-hmm. People will change flavor notes. Why? Because the coffee didn't taste the same and now they've learned. It's, it's irrelevant what happened yesterday. Yeah. Um, but it depends, I guess, about how you learn. I sort of wrote some notes, but I kind of hate reading notes. It's not really my style. I'm kind of more bullet points and make it up. Uh, whether that works for me or not, I don't I really know. But Is there any other questions while we've got these wonderful experienced competitors here? Just a short question. Uh, is there anybody in your careers, whether competing or otherwise, that you'd like to thank and shout out to for helping in a, in a significant way? Oh. Any judges or otherwise? Uh, that's not a short answer I, sorry i didn't i didn't hear well can you repeat anyone that? you shout out to any particular people that have helped you i think was that Ooh. yeah there's so many i know people who volunteer their time i think is a like for me yeah a summary there's a lot of individuals in that yeah but there's anyone, a huge anyone amount who of does this through choice rather than being forced into it i think is pretty uh, awesome yeah, the volunteers that make the competitions run. And also the people that help, right? And yeah, I mean, everyone who shows yeah. up on the day to make the thing happen. Volunteers, SCA, yeah. you get everybody. I, I have time, three yeah. people. There's uh, Rob Ward, uh, Adita, uh, and Tim Sirk. And the, the three of them have helped support me as a judge massively. And I think the first time a head judge, your biggest panic is that you drift off from the other team. And your biggest panic is that you end up rewarding the wrong things. Mm. And Tim was like, just focus on what you do. You'll get the right result. You'll know it's right. Yeah. It's very yeah. calming. Um, but yeah, for me, there's, the, those three people have been uh, pivotal to it. Very good three. Yeah. <laughs> How are we doing on time? Are we good? Shut it down? Okay. Fantastic. <laughs> Dan, stop talking. My colleagues are here, so they know this is quite usual for me. Um, first of all, I want to be a huge thanks to Claire, Dan, and Yana for spending their time here today with you. Uh, a massive thank you to Tracy and Ali for keeping up with what we're doing. Thank you so much. Uh, and a huge thanks to Sophie for putting on this, getting it organized, and to Hannah and Grace, who put on the Manchester Coffee Festival, which I think everyone's had a really good time. It's incredibly successful. I think they're going to talk a little bit about the future. Is that the next? It's a different talk. They're going to do something in a bit. Thank you guys very much for coming, listening to us ramble. Uh, hope you enjoy the rest of your time and travel home safe. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.